Welcome to Voices on Art, the Van Horn Gallery podcast hosted by Daniela Steinfeld. I'm Daniela, and this podcast is about my personal and also about a lot of other people's enthusiasm for art. Art can touch on all parts of life, and therefore we talk about all parts of life. I hope to get you on board and to tell you interesting stories you enjoy listening to. For international listeners, the podcast will be held mostly in English. We're recording via the internet, so please excuse any glitches and sound quality. Episode 69, recorded December 19, 2022. Hi, everybody. This is a very special episode. My name is Mills Moran. I was on this podcast. I can't even remember when I was on this podcast, but it was during the independent phase of the podcast programming, uh, maybe two years ago. And I got to be interviewed by Daniela Steinfeld, who you all probably know from listening to this podcast. We became friends uh, immediately after that. Having never met, uh, we continued a dialogue during the pandemic and throughout and beyond that. Daniela made her way to Los Angeles to do Felix Art Fair, and we finally met in person for the first time. So we've been speaking about having this podcast be a little bit different. It's a special episode. I'm going to be asking Daniela the questions, and we're going to get to know more about Daniela and her background and her history in the arts. So Daniela, how are you? Mills, thank you for taking the time. I really feel honored, and I, f I feel really weird being kind of like on the other side of the podcast, but yeah. Fire away. Well, I feel weird being on this side of the podcast because normally I don't have to prepare for these things. And I yeah. spent the morning <laughs> reading as much as I could and taking as many notes as I could. And we'll probably won't get to most of them. But, you know, the person that listens usually learns as much as the person that's speaking um, yeah, that's about true. life and about that person. So you taught me that. So I'm excited to hear a lot about yourself. And, you know, as usual, we want to start from the beginning, Daniela. I want to ask you about your background, your upbringing, and how you first encountered art. Yeah, I knew you would ask that. And I actually didn't prepare myself because I really just wanted to be completely open and just, just answer your question. So actually, I was brought up by a single mom, but in a big family. And quite some members of that family were interested in the arts or in acting. My grandma, she was a singer and an actress. Oh, wow. uh, my aunt, her now husband, was a later to be very well-known artist. So I was born into that. And I was very early on fascinated by images, probably more photography than anything else, but really early on. And there were sort of like really bad reproductions of whatever Picasso or Chagall or something on the walls of my grandparents. And also at home, I had in my children's bedroom, I had this little, like the girl with a dove by Picasso. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at magazines my mom had before I even could read. And I was always fascinated by images. So I think actually my first encounter with art was every image I I could grab. It was not consciously art, but I know that there was a path with looking at images. And my mom, she used to then, um, yeah, they went to museums and they brought me along. And as a lot of kids, I don't know if I particularly enjoyed it, <laughs> but, no, but yeah. it was definitely an influence. But the other part of the coin was that, as I said, my aunt, she was engaged with um, a later on 
to become very famous artists. And they were really very, they had a very high, yeah, self-esteem or they were very, very much probably full of themselves or something. I, I probably was four years old and it was this generation of like male artists who were absolutely sure about being geniuses. I mean, they were absolutely clear. I'm, I, you know, what I do is so super important. And I know doing art is super important, but having a big ego might not be super important. <laughs> As a kid, really, really, really tiny kid before I even went to school, I felt that attitude and, and I thought like, ooh, if artists are like that, because I always thought I want to be an artist, but if artists are like that, I, I don't want to be an artist. So at a young age, you recognized the sort of male genius problem? I wouldn't say that it was male for me. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that I thought like, oh, um, oh, if this is a man and he's so full of himself. It was, I didn't oh, think no. about that, but I recognized, I recognized ego probably much more than I would do now, actually. I, I was very sensitive. It was a turnoff. It was a turnoff. It was a complete turnoff. I don't know why exactly, but I thought like, ooh. And probably it was also the way they treated my mom because she was not an artist. She was just a secretary and she worked really, really hard to get by to, to raise her child as a single mom. And so, um, I think I got that feeling like, oh, you're not as interesting or as good as we are. Mm -hmm. I was very, very put off by that. And in a way, I think that really shaped my attitude for a very long time because, I mean, I wanted to be either an actress or a photographer. And um, everything inside of me was screaming, I want to do that. And everything else said, boah, but I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to be part of that. And so, yeah, so actually in my school days, I always had a camera on me. I made really, really super bad photos of Yeah, my surroundings and the punk scene I was in, most of them were formally shit, but but they captured some energy, I, I guess. Yeah, something like that. And do you think that attitude is still pervasive in your work now, after you were an artist and as a gallerist? How some of these turnoffs and how some of these egos um, are something you're not interested in dealing with? Well, I would say um, probably, you know, the art world is a strange thing. And it does not matter if you're an artist or if you're a gallerist or if you're a museum creator or a collector or whatever, for all the people in the art world, that might be true, that it's such a beautiful and fascinating place and you meet all these amazing people and not only artists, also some of the collectors, some of the museum people, some of my colleagues are just the greatest people I've ever met. And so that's the one part. But on, on the other hand, we know that yes, probably because we deal with such a sensitive subject that that ego even, you know, punches you more in the face than in any other industry. Because in other industry probably you expect that people are so egotistic. But in the arts you you want to believe that they're nicer or more sensitive. Definitely. <laughs> you want to believe. Yes, you want that. And but I would say that my First of all, my attitude completely changed because I studied art. I mean, it took me a long while. And before that, I, I went between the end of school, like between 1820 and 28, I, I traveled the world and I went to India and I made many, many experiences which had nothing to do with art in the general sense, but were probably a preparation 
for what to come. You took time off before going to university? I think that's true for a lot of people, except the ones that have a very straight path. But my, my path is meandering. It's <laughs> much more winding and, and actually still is. It's not straight, absolutely not. It is for all of us. Yeah, yeah I, I think for, for many of us, it, that's also so fascinating in the art world that you can come into it from, from any background. Correct, yeah. You know? Correct. I'm a perfect example of that. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I remember. I remember very well. Anybody who wants to listen again to Mill's podcast, I can only <laughs> encourage that. It is really beautiful and very open, very open talk. Let me, let me rewind it a little bit. So you had, how many siblings did you have? Uh, none. I mean, I was brought oh, up alone. You were brought up alone, okay. Yeah. And uh, did you know your father? Was your father in the picture? My, my father was in the picture. I mean, it was it was unusual in the 60s to be divorced. So uh, actually in kindergarten and also in where you go when you're six years old, you go to, we say Grundschule, which is sort of the first school you go to. And, and sort of like when you're still small children, they probably would tease you and yeah. would say, oh, you, you, don't, you don't have a father. My father was there. He was not there in everyday life, but he, he picked me up on the weekends. Or mm -hmm. we would go skiing or would do something like that. Um, and also the family of my father, my grandma, who was one of the most special people I ever met, um, they raised me. I think my grandma raised me more than my father raised me, but he, mm -hmm. he was her son, so, and he was there also. So it was not that I didn't know my father. But mm -hmm. I would say the women in my family, the strong and beautiful and cool and also disturbed women in my family, they brought me up. The women influenced me much more. I'm a strong believer in women, yeah. Yeah, no, I know. I know that to be true. So that's interesting. So you, you traveled a little bit, you took a meandering path. Yeah. This is your early 20s. Did you have thoughts of being a visual artist, of showing work, of expressing yourself in the way that we know artists do currently? Was this something you were thinking about this whole time? And if not, how did you get to that point? What was your first break in the art world or in showing art? Until I was 25, 26, I think I really didn't even think about any career in the world, you know? Mm -hmm. I was in India, I was in an ashram, I was meditating. Before that, I was part of an underground scene, a punk scene here in Dusseldorf. Nothing about that was about a career. So I think it really started for me when I, I had a job at the theater. After I returned from India, I went to Stuttgart for a couple of years and I got a job at the theater. And I met a lot of um, actors there. And I started again photographing there, doing portrait photography, just, just like that, just because I found it was interesting. And then I did an assistance in a photo studio and then very fast understood that that's nothing I, I'm interested in, to take jobs where somebody else tells you what to do and right. to, to work in, in advertising or something like that. And then... I thought like, okay, so what, what can I do? So it's either acting or it's photography. And then I did a application at an acting school and I did a public, you know, like rehearsing. And in the moment I was on stage, I realized that this is really nothing I really want to do. It was, everybody right. was looking at me and I was like, ah, uh, rather not. <laughs> 
but really just in that moment, because if you really want to be an actor, like a great actor, you have to show some soul. You really have to show, mm -hmm. you have to open your, yourself up Im immensely. And I, I felt that I can open up, but it's like in a personal relationship and to sure. people I see and I know and not to an anonymous audience. It was like really, okay, then I do photography. And um, at that time, the only Kunstakademie, Academy, Academy for Arts in, in Germany, who had a photography class, that was the Kunstakademie Düsseldorf. And I'm born and raised and went to school in Düsseldorf. And actually, I didn't want to return. It was like, it, it felt like a failure. Right, you're going home. Yeah, you're, you're going home. back, uh, not forward, you're going back. Yeah. But then it was just at that time, and still is, one of the best academies in the world. And it had this photo class. And then I applied there, and then a completely different journey started. And that was really the journey into the art world. So from looking at the, the one show that I was able to, to find <laughs> was the Hubbard Foundation. Yes. Yeah, well, this is probably the most relevant also. Of course. And also, as you were speaking, it just sort of dawned on me that you know you were choosing between acting and photography. It, it seems like you kind of chose both. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, this might be a very obvious take, but you sort of executed it in a way, you know, the self-staging of yourself in the work, also curating your own retrospective. I mean, all these, all these things are, you know, performance and photography and, and visual arts at the same time. Yeah. So is that, is that too obvious of a takeaway from, or is there more, or is there more than, a, or is there something I'm missing from the shows? No, no. I, I mean, I would say that every text, each and every text that ever was written about this body of work, which was done between 1999 and 2001, maybe 2002, where I stuff myself and sit in cardboard boxes in the studio and stuff like that. Yeah, it had performative aspects. It had sculptures aspects, all of that. Um, but the thing is that, as you might have noticed, that yes, I'm using my own body as tool, but you never see my face. So uh -huh. yep. it might be on a sort of like internal soul psychological level it might be kind of self-portrait but actually it was two lines where that work originated from i did some more becher school like works that look more formally like in the becher school before that and it was always with people i had to make appointments it kind of like was a lot of fuzz to go there and then sometimes they would not show up so i thought like i, I could have it easier why not work with some somebody who's always there, which is me. And then the second thing was also very influential. I read texts by um, Bruce Nauman, where he said when he was a young artist and he was sitting in a studio and didn't know what to do, he thought like, well, as I'm an artist, everything I do in the studio is art. And then I thought like, oh yeah, that's great. Whatever I do in the studio is art. So I can just just roll around and lie around and whatever and sit in a cardboard box and that's art and that was a big relief for me because I was it was kind of like scary that you had to do art you know it was so holy so art and I thought like oh yeah if Bruce Norman says that I can do that and then this um this stuffed things where I used the stocking and stuffed myself it's as I said it started in 1999 it was also I'm coming from portrait photography photographed other people mm -hmm. in a way like i'm talking to the people on the podcast now it was like to yeah. go deep into them to understand them better to go deeper and 
it was so frustrating because very often in portrait photography, well, it's just the surface. And then I thought like, okay, but how can it look when you show the real thing? And that might be formless. Yeah. And so in a way, those, those foam things that are in the stockings, they are kind of like as if you put your insides out, you can't see anything who I'm, I am really from the outside. But, you know, if you sort of like turn the inside out, then it might look that way. So sort of like, yeah, it's it probably that's too complicated, but kind of like, yeah, that's where those, those images originate from. Mm-hmm. And I guess really interesting, the Mammon quote is actually really fun. It kind of gives you some freedom, right? Absolutely, it gives you a lot of yeah. time to explore it because th- this idea of, of having like there needs to be an end product mm-hmm. is a scary place to get to, right? Absolutely. And, and from, from what I found, most the artists that I work with that I really appreciate the most are the ones that try to eliminate the distance between themselves and the work. They try to make it as personal as possible. And it's, that's where it becomes as honest as possible. Yeah, probably not personal, but essential, you know? And essential, yeah. yeah. Well, whatever that definition is for you. Exactly, exactly. What my question is going to be, what stories are you trying to tell? Where are you trying to tell with your work? What were some of the messages that you were trying to communicate outside of just the self-staging? I mean, that's, that's a hard question because <laughs> I don't think any. I think that the message or message, I, I don't think that art necessarily has to have a message or that an artist intends I mean, an artist definitely intends to communicate if he puts or he or her put their work out, but it might not be a direct message. It might be rather something like some, some magic (laughs) that happens, something you, you, I don't know that people stand in front of your work. And I don't mean my work necessarily. I mean, work is that they feel touched or they feel that something beyond words is happening. I think in visual arts, if you can explain it fully in words, then probably you should write a book because I think in, <laughs> in, in visual art and physical art, you can talk around it. You can say, oh, this is made from a photo. This and this is, you can see on it. Mm-hmm. But what the actual art is, you, you probably cannot explain or define. That is the magic and the mystery, and that is what draws me in into art. And when it comes to myself, I was just, I don't know, I think (laughs) I was just in the studio and was making stuff. And people liked it, and and it was put into exhibitions. I also don't think you have to explain anything, you know, and when it comes to your work, it's some people love to speak ad nauseum about their work. Some people don't say anything. I always find it very interesting, um, the ones that do and the ones that don't. So did you show your work internationally? I noticed there was a Los Angeles gallery. Yes, yes, I did. Very early on, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Did you work with galleries? Yes, yes. Specifically? I, was it just projects? I started studying in 1992. Mm-hmm. I was included in the first museum exhibition in 1994, and I had my first New York show while I was still studying at the Academy in 1998, I think, in Sarah Meltzer Gallery in, in New York City in Soho at that time and later on in, in mm-hmm. Chelsea. And shortly before I stopped, I think it was 2001 or 2002, I had a show at Cezanne Filmator in Los Angeles. Yeah, that's the gallery I noticed. Yeah. So you say you stopped. Yes. How do you define stopping? Oh, well, I, you probably, I didn't stop. 
I never said I'm not an artist. I mean, I said at some point I'm a gallerist, yeah. Or I, or or probably I rather say I run a gallery. I have a gallery. Mm -hmm. And it was, yeah, first of all, I had a lot of exhibitions and I maneuvered myself in this kind of work, probably into a corner where I thought that it cannot continue and I need to find sort of like a new approach. Did you enjoy it, or does it is, is that one of the reasons you you stopped enjoying it? I think if I would have stayed a kind of more like street photographer or somebody who just meets people and photographs them mm-hmm. uh, and talks to them while photographing them, right? And so that means being constantly in contact and in exchange with people, which actually I'm now in my job. Yeah, of course. I, I I think I would have continued to uh, to be an artist slash photographer, but for some reason I thought, you know, studying at the Kunstakademie and everybody was working in the studio, uh, and also Bruce Norman was really influential to, for me, and I thought I have to be in the studio. And I must honestly say that I didn't enjoy studio work so much to be alone in the studio doing my thing to complete. What I'm doing, I need other people. Mm-hmm. I'm happy alone. I'm never lonesome. But to become really creative, to do something which is bigger than you, which is not only you, that is other people. I just need them. <laughs> so you, you feed off of conversation, dialogue, yeah. I feed off that, yes. Exchange. I feel them. They inspire me. And sometimes it's just that, you know, I, I like to talk. And sometimes I only get the ideas while I'm talking to a person. Of course. Yeah, of course. So your natural transition was, I believe it was a project space first? It was a project space. So your, your transition was to sort of dip your toes in the space, not open a gallery. Exactly. Continue a dialogue, a conversation with other artists and give them an opportunity at the same time providing yourself some satisfaction some fulfillment between their work and your new project is that does that sound right it sounds right although i think it sounds so sophisticated and i, I don't think <laughs> <laughs> no we don't think that way when we open our gallery <laughs> I, I don't think actually that i ever, that i ever had those thoughts yeah. i mean one thing actually really is an artist and I must say, I really have to apologize to all my galleries. Those people were, now I know how committed they were, how much they supported me, how lovely people they were. I must apologize because as, as an artist, I always felt like, ah, they're not doing enough or that's not right or whatever, right. you know, it's like, it's horrible. It's a big misunderstanding. I just didn't know better yeah. at that time. But there was a particular thing that happened where I was really, really frustrated and a lot of things fed in. One of the things was that I, I kind of like had the feeling with this stuffing myself and, and photographing myself. <laughs> I'm coming to an end. <laughs> yeah, right. And I did a few series with other people then again, which were also exhibited and even bought by museums, but it was not quite the thing. And then it is really as, yeah, wonderful or strange as it might sound there was on this cultural tv station arte there was a documentary about robert crump and his brothers i had never heard of robert crump before i must admit and that was in i'd say 2002 2003 something like that and i saw it 
And I dreamt that I have to open a space and show Robert Crumb. <laughs> oh, God, really? Yeah, it was a dream, actually. It was a dream. And it was a real dream. It was a dream. And in the morning, I woke up and I knew, yes, you have to, you have to do that. And then I wrote, uh, at that time, Robert Crumb was not with David Swerner. Robert Crumb was already a legend. He showed with a small gallery, cartoon gallery in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a handwritten eight-page letter to Robert and sent it and said, hey, could you forward it to Robert Crumb? And actually, he did. He did, wow. He did, yes, he did. He was really nice. He did. And then, um, yeah, I didn't hear for a long time. Then I thought, okay, it has to be Robert Crumb. And if it's not him, it's nobody. I'm not going to open that space. Mm -hmm. And then after a couple of months or weeks or so, a letter came back, also handwritten in which Robert really, first of all, he, he said like, oh, like how much he does not like the art world and that he's not an artist. He does not consider himself to be an artist. And then I thought like, okay, I'm probably just going to exhibit that letter then. Right. But then he wrote, well, you know, I like always the small guys. So I, I liked your approach. So why don't you just choose what you want to show? And I was like, my God, it was really, really honestly one of them, <laughs> except my marriage day, it was one of the happiest moments in my life. I was right. really screaming and dancing and shouting and everything. And he had invited me to a soft to a France where he lives. And I was prepared to go. And then a couple of weeks later, he, he wrote me, hey, there was just this museum guy from Cologne. They want to do a big show with me. And he took everything. And there's nothing yeah. left for you. And I was like, oh, fuck shit, you know? <laughs> and, of and, course, too good to be true. Yeah, that was like, oh, no. But then, and then he wrote, but you know, my gallerist at that time, Paul Morris, who turned out to be just such a fantastic person, why don't you just contact him? He has stuff and you can choose from that. And Paul, he was so nice. And he just said, yeah, for sure. And he sent me that. And he even came. I remember it was this small space, really tiny. And I just had chosen seven drawings by Robert Crumb, mm -hmm. all portraits. And I remember Paul visiting me. He came to Düsseldorf to see that. And he said, uh, he said, oh, that's legendary. That's legendary. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I think so too. I think it was, it was really amazing. Uh, it made me so happy. And it was um, just out of a coincidence. It was luck. It was really Robert's first solo show in Germany, although a tiny one. Yeah. And then half a year later, he had a huge retrospective, a huge show at the Museum Ludwig in Cologne. But in February, I had the show with Robert. It's sort of an amazing way to launch your space. Yes, yes. It was very important that it was not about me. This is yeah. why it was called Van Horn and not Daniela Steinfeld's space or something. Uh -huh. And also, it was not about my peer group. It was something that has never been seen in Dusseldorf before, that I bring something here which opens up the realm of a discussion about art here mm -hmm. in Dusseldorf, yeah. And again, this isn't something you were planning. No. That's one of the takeaways i think from starting a gallery is you got to be a little bit crazy or you have to not have all your ducks in a row you have to you know not know what to expect and you have to take a lot of chances and one of the chances you took was was reaching out to someone that you had no chance of 
of working with. But it turns out when you do take that chance, things just start snowballing from there. And yeah, I might have put it succinctly earlier, but we none of us ever think about these things going into it. We just we're just making one decision at a time. Did you feel that way? Because I I felt that way from the beginning. I'm that kind of person. I didn't have a strategy. And I still, I mean, you know, I cannot claim I'm that naive anymore. Mm -hmm. There is the German um, author Hermann Hesse. The sentence is, in every beginning there is magic. Mm -hmm. And so I was an absolute beginner and I was naive as an absolute beginner. You know, there was no fear. There was no anxiousness. I didn't have to compete to get to an art fair. You know, I didn't have to compete for anything. It was just, it was utter freedom. And for this first year, I was completely in the flow. Yeah. And then I thought I just want to do it for one year. And I showed them the second show was a Rudolf Steiner, the blackboard drawings by Rudolf Steiner. Yep. I met the greatest people on the way. At that time, uh, the guy who ran the estate of uh, Rudolf Steiner, he was Walter Kugler. And he was friends with Walter Dahn, who is a famous German artist, and Johannes Stuttgen both students of Josef Beuys, they had discovered those blackboard drawings. So he was open when I told him, they're in Switzerland, in Dornach, near Basel. And when I told him, I need to show those drawings, which are like holy museum pieces. Why, why I have to show them after Robert Crumb? Because between Robert Crumb and Rudolf Steiner, a whole cosmos of art opens up. And he said, oh, I understand. And he did everything that I could realize that show. And then the third show was a small show with uh, Nicole Eisenman. And at that time, it was also mm. the first solo affair in Germany. And at that time, Leo König, he supported me a lot with that. Yeah. If you have an artist space and you have good ideas, everybody loves you. Everybody's so supportive. It's so easy. Well, especially back then. There was, now there's a lot of spaces, but back then there was a lot of chances to, if you showed passion for something, deep, deep passion, you can go a long way. Absolutely. That's still true today. If you're a beginner, yes. Mm -hmm. If you have that, that beginning magic. But then later on, at some point, you know, I, I, you know, I was invited to Art Cologne, although I was an artist space. And I told the then director, mm -hmm. Gerard Goudreau, I told him, hey, I'm just an artist space. And he said, oh, it doesn't matter. We show that as well. And then I came in touch for the first mm -hmm. time with the commercial art world. And in that time, I must say, Cologne was, you know, colleagues came to me and welcomed me. It was really nice. I remember Christian Nagel, he, he came to me and said, hi, who are you? What are you doing? And I thought like, oh, that's nice. I like it. And then I kind of naturally grew into it because if I would have known what it means to run a commercial gallery, I, in the beginning, in the very beginning, when I was still with, with an artist mindset, mm -hmm. I think I wouldn't have had the courage, you know, if I would have had to do business plan or something like that. I, I think I wouldn't have done it. But the good thing is I just grew into it. And still a lot of decision. I mean, there are strategies and there are things I think, ah, do I do this? Don't I do this? What makes sense? Yeah. But deep inside, I'm still hoping for that moment of magic to happen, you know, where you feel this is right, this is yeah. right, you know, this is the path, Yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> is that what keeps you going as a guy? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And meeting people like you and, meet, and meeting, 
you know, some of, of the collectors, some of the artists, you know, like everywhere there are great people, there are not so great people. But I think generally yeah. there are more great people than not so great people. Yeah, and there is still a lot of inspiration for me in, in all in the thing. Been, yeah. It's been 20, 20 years now. Right? Yeah, in 2024, it will be 20 years like the halls of Van Horn space and gallery and the gallery will be 15 years. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, that's a significant amount. Yeah, of time. I know. You're, you're well into it at this point and it's, you know, my gallery is 15 years old. So, you know, you, you've seen a lot, you've done a lot, you've gone through a lot. Yeah. But do you feel that to you're, still be continued do you forward. feel that you're established? Do you feel that? Never. Yeah, exactly. Never. <laughs> no. <laughs> Never. No, you always need to be fighting for more. The minute you take your foot off the gas, you feel like you're going to lose something. Yeah, but what does it mean more? Well, what, what, what do you mean with more? More interesting projects, mm. uh, more interesting artists, um, you know, pushing the gallery forward, growing, you know, like we went to Mexico. Yeah, there, there's uh, giving artists opportunities, different architecture, different spaces, different ideas, you know, supporting different projects. I mean, this, that to me is more. It's not about getting into more art fair. It's about doing more for your artists. In the beginning, I thought, which, which I really failed massively, but I thought I could invent what it means to be a gallery completely new. Yeah. <laughs> which, which, a lot of people have tried that. I know, I know. I, I failed definitely, and I think a lot of people failed. <laughs> you, you become part of the system, you know. But what you can do is... You do and you don't. Yeah, well, you change it in little ways. You know, sometimes... You do it your way. Yeah, exactly. You know, sometimes it's just the way you react to certain things. Sometimes it's, yeah, probably you try to, I mean, you know, I definitely have an ego, but I try to, I try to become every day more egoless. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, but the way you handle a situation with an artist can be very different than another that's gallery. True. And they can see that and appreciate it and they, they feel that yeah, level that's of support. True. It goes a very long way. And, and that's part of changing how it's not changing the system. That's, that's too abstract and vague as a concept to begin with. But changing an artist's experience, like that's something that could be very significant. And you do that for enough artists and you have something very interesting. Yeah. The interesting thing for me is that probably because I studied art and I was an artist for like a longer time and, and I, I worked with galleries worldwide and I did that part. Um, For me, the new thing is not necessarily the artists because I, I was hanging around with them all the time anyway. All the time, yeah. All my best friends used to be artists. Actually, that changed probably a bit. But the, the experience with the artists, I completely get, you know, it's like I'm deeply inside of that because I know myself how it is to, to create art. And what I'm really fascinated in is, is all those other people Before I did the gallery, I, I didn't meet collectors personally, you know. Um, I didn't meet a lot of the museum curators and museum directors and all of these people. I, I didn't meet them on that level where I meet them now. And that I find completely fascinating because they all also come from very different backgrounds. And uh, that is a, a big drive, I think. Yeah. Um, so you touched on something I've actually been meaning to ask you for a long time. So you work with your husband. He's one of your artists? Yes. For the folks out there who are married and don't work together, um, that's, that, tell us about that dynamic. And I'm sure there's challenges yes. in, that, in that environment. 
<laughs> you don't have to talk yes, about it. Yes, well, well the, the thing is that, the, that in the beginning, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. When it turned out that I will start working with artists, even in the beginning, mm -hmm. it was, you know, at first it was this completely non-commercial artist space, then it turned into a non-profit space, and then it turned into a gallery. Mm -hmm. And in the phase, like in the second or third year, where it started to become a non-profit space, it was clear that I would start to, to work with artists and I invited artists I had met before because they probably were in the same gallery than me, like Andrea Bowers with Sarah Meltzer or Katie Holton, who I had met on a residency at the Irish Museum of Modern Art. So I invited quite some artists. I met early on artists like Manuel Graf, who, who visited the Rudolf Steiner show so often. And I had seen his work at the Kunstakademie so often that I thought he's so brilliant. I still work with him. And Jan, he was still in a process of developing his work. And then suddenly he put in the turbo, really the turbo. And suddenly, <laughs> I mean, really shit. I mean, his work became really, really good. Really, I mean, great. Yeah. And he was really unleashing powers and open up the bin. And I was thinking like, oh, you know, if I don't show him, Somebody else will pick him. And so why shouldn't I profit from such a great artist? Right, of course. I really just see him as I do see the other artists, mm -hmm. all the artists I work with. He is just a great artist and I completely appreciate that. And I can keep the distance. When it comes to the gallery, it's very clear that I'm the gallerist, I run the gallery, and he's an artist. Yeah. And look, I've always sort of described to people not in the art world with the relationship that we have with our artists is closer to being married than any other business relationship yes. I yes. can think of. Um, you're, you're so intertwined um, between your finances, and yeah. their work, your work. You know, you, you go to the same dinners, you go to parties, you travel around the world together sometimes. As close to possible. It's very that. personal. It's very personal. It's very personal. And when you unwind it, it's unwinding it almost as much as a marriage. You have to send back art. You know, it's, it's all these things. It's interesting to work with someone that you're married to, obviously. That's, it's not always the case. But um, you have to treat them just like everybody else because that relationship is pretty standard. Some artists need more yes, exactly. uh, attention, some need less. And the thing is, it's not so rare, you know. I mean, there there are quite some That's galleries true. that that are married to to one or the other artist. It's like I think, like in every other business or industry, that you meet people in the working place. Yeah, of course. Uh, one of the last things I wanted to talk about mm. was was this podcast. We went into how it makes sense in terms of your career. Um, it makes a lot of sense for how you feed off of relationships and meet new people and you know, enjoy the dialogue. Um, but, but still, it must be a lot of work. So the, I really want to get to the, sort of dig deep into like, what are the motivations to keep you keep doing it? What are the motivations that helped start it? I know mm -hmm. it was sort of a pandemic thing. Um, you're, you're really good at it. Thank you. And there's a lot of podcasts out there, but your podcast really seems to get to the root of people's um, interest in what we all do a lot more than others. Oh, that would be lovely if it's true, Mills. I believe it is true, and a lot of people believe it's true. So I'm just curious, you know, how this plays into the bigger grand scheme of your gallery and this performance called Your Life, and the podcast is a very big part of that. Yeah, I, I think the podcast is really, it was kind of like something I didn't know that I was missing. 
but I missed it. It helps me for some reason to connect with something meaningful and deeper. And it feels like, oh my God, that sounds so tacky almost, but it, it, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's my calling. I mean, really. And so it took on a life on its own so fast. It was, you know, the first podcast I, I did was really because we couldn't do certain things during the pandemics. Mm -hmm. And I had a lecture scheduled in my showroom, a talk with uh, Bettina Steinbrücke, a curator, a museum director now in Luxembourg, and the artist Henrike Naumann, who was included in the show. And then the pandemic came and I was invited for a podcast. And I thought, yeah, let's, let's do that talk as a podcast. That's easy. And we did it. And something just clicked. And I knew immediately, first of all, it needs to be in English because I want to talk to the world. I want everybody from Nicaragua to whatever, Namibia and Congo and USA and Canada and Europe and everything that everybody can understand it. And English is that connecting language. And so my second guest already was my cherished colleague, Andrew Jensen from Fox Jensen in Sydney. And then, I mean, it's like learning by doing and also understanding by doing. And I, I felt also by actually meeting you, you know, I mean, ours was one of the talks where I think it was one of the biggest connections that happened. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, where I really felt, wow, I, I feel the people I talk to, I feel them, I get to know them on a real level. It's crazy how we became friends immediately. Yes, Like during, immediately. during the podcast, we became yes, friends. Yes, during the podcast. We knew it, and we both knew it already. We just started yes. texting each other right after that. And, yeah, and it's, it was really it was deep. right away. Yeah, it was, but it was, yes, right away. It was during that conversation, so... That's Absolutely. Rare. And, you know, you don't you know and the thing is, it does not have to do, you know, we don't have to see each other often for that mm -hmm. or, or, or share everyday experiences, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes, and I, I have the feeling through the voice, through, you might say the ether, the magic of radio, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, you know, and I, I think, you know, there is some energy that exchanges. And then also the thing is that, um, I feel, you know, podcasts since the pandemic, they are such a big thing, but I feel it is something very archaic. Probably it's the way, the most natural way people like in ancient times used to communicate. They were sitting at the fire telling stories mm -hmm. and I believe in the power of word and I believe it, it matters a lot which words you use and how you use them, how you use your voice, how does your voice sound, what is transmitted through that. You are so true, actually, if you talk. I mean, people, if they listen to your voice, it's probably truer than if they see your face. Yeah. For me, it, it fulfills a deep, something deep. I don't know. This is why, you know, I don't earn any money with it, although I would love to. That's right. But anyway, you know, if it's just, you know, sometimes it's like 350, 400, sometimes 900 people that listen. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. So if I can touch them, if, if something happens for them, that's amazing, you know, uh, and at least potentially I can reach out to the world and invite the world in. Yeah. And that is something amazing, I think. Well, I think it's great. You know, usually it's about somebody else on your podcast. Today it's about you. So 
I want to thank you on behalf of everybody who listens because this is a really strong podcast and you do great work and you do wonderful things and your approach and your style is valued by a lot of people in the art community. So I want you to know that. Thank you, Mills. <laughs> and as it is about you today, usually somebody's promoting something out here. So I want to give you a chance to tell me about what you're looking forward to in 2023. It could be anything. It could be your program. It could be an artist of yours that has a project. Let us know what you're looking for or two next year. Yeah, actually, I'm really looking forward to to start again with the podcast because I took a little break mm -hmm. and I'm going to go back into full flow. So that's, I'm looking forward to that. I'm very much looking forward actually to my next show, which is with Wendy White, a New York artist. And Wendy is just <laughs> such an amazing artist and personality. And she will come and she will be here and we will install together. I'm very much looking forward to that. Actually, you know, I like to do art fairs, not all the time, but very often. So I'm also looking forward to some art fairs I will do next year. And um, yeah, I think a new year is always such a great, it can be such a great reset. Yep. It does not always work, but I think I would like to concentrate even more on the things that are really valuable to me mm -hmm. and find out more what I want to do and how I want to do it and try to make it in the best way I can. Yeah, that's that's my plans for 2023. I think that's great. We're going to find another way for me to get on the podcast. This is a very interesting way because we've been talking about it for a year, a little bit more actually, about yes, doing true. this. So <laughs> I'm honored to have the chance to interview you and, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I think really it's crucial that it's you because it's really like I talked to you, yeah, you know? Of course. And this is why I can be really very honest. <laughs> Thank you so much for having the idea and for really taking the time. Of course. I really, really appreciate that. Well, Daniela, happy holidays, happy new year. Thank you so much, Mills. Take care. Bye. Please find links and the text about my guest in the show notes. For more information on Voices on Art, the Van Horn Gallery podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Voices on Art and at van underscore horn underscore Düsseldorf. Visit our website van-horn.net and subscribe to Voices on Art on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or the platform of your choice. Thank you for listening to Voices on Art, the Van Horn Gallery podcast hosted by Daniela Steinfeld. Stay tuned and connect. <laughs>